Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Behind the Badge. I'm your host, Sergeant Mark. With me on the line is the prof. Professor, how you doing, brother? Wonderful. How are you? Uh, you know, I can complain, but who, who cares, right? So Exactly. So I want to get right into this. So today, um, we're going to talk about, you know, some more of our uh, crazy stories that you know, have happened to us in the past or over our born unit days. But before we do that, last year, last August 14th, there was an incident in the North Philadelphia section of, of um, you know, North Philly to people around the area. Um, six police officers were shot that day. All of them survived, all doing well today. Um, two were stuck in that house trapped with a gunman hunting them down uh, for several hours. Luckily, everyone made it out okay. Everyone's around to talk about it. And lucky for us, today we have, as a guest, one of those officers that was inside here today with us. Uh, this gentleman was at a partner of ours back in the, back in the warrant unit days. Now I'm Philly PD, and it's just an honor to have a hero like this man. It's great that everything worked out, and we could talk a little bit about it. The case is still going on in court. There's not much we could talk detail-wise, but uh, later on the show, he will, you know, we'll dive into a little bit of what it was like in that situation. My man, Aaron. What's up, brother? How you doing? What's going on? How you doing? So, before we get to that whole nightmare of a scenario, to give everybody a, a little update, our first episode we actually took down for um, the sound quality. You know, the prof was using a phone from, I think, what, 1980, and it sounded awful. That's it. Yeah, so it sounded awful. So, we wanted to <laughs> remove that now that we have everything ironed out. Uh, at a later date, we'll get back to some of those uh, stories and some of the topics we talked about that day. One of the um, one of the things we we did discuss um, that week, you know, was the history of our unit. And again, just in case you're just tuning in, our unit was a fugitive unit directly out of the Philadelphia courts. That unit doesn't exist no more. They have merge with the Philadelphia sheriffs. They do all the fugitive work, the warrant unit work, and so on. So I will get into um, more details as we go along with future episodes. You know, but right now, you know, let's, let's dive into a little bit of what's actually going on right now in this city. I believe right now we're up to 280 murders mm. in Philadelphia. What is it like right now out there? I mean, what's is it as bad as we're seeing now? 280 murders is awful. The crime we could see on the news, but we always know the news makes it seem doom and gloom. Right. I mean, is it just that dangerous <clears throat> out there right now? Yeah, it's actually worse. 
It's actually worse than. It's what. actually worse than what you know people are led to believe. You know some of the things that's going on out there. You know we see it firsthand. You know um, what's actually going on out there in the streets. What's actually going on in these communities and in these neighborhoods. And you know the people, the public gets a watered down version of what actually goes on in the streets. If people actually knew what really went on in the neighborhoods that they live in, it doesn't really matter where you live at today, in today's time, you know, from North Philly to Center City to in the suburbs. But if people really knew what went on in the areas that they live in, you know, they would be afraid to go outside. Now, for your identity sake, I'm not going to disclose what unit you're in. I know what it is. I know you get to see more than anybody how actually crazy it is. Mm-hmm. You know, Prof, you're looking right now at what's going on in all these other cities and, you know, that defund the police and all that nonsense. You know, how do you let, let me back up real quick. Like right now in Philly, the bright idea of what to do is the same old stuff over and over. Let's get the community together. Let's do a walk. Let's do the gun, you know, the gun buyback program, which has never worked. It's a good idea. I don't think I think we should have it. That's a that's a great idea. But that's not the solution. That's not going to stop it. You know, when we were in the warrant unit, we used to go out into these districts. Like, for instance, I think there's a shooting today in the 39th. Yes. 39th district. We would go in with all of our warrants from that district, and we would hit every house in in that district. And once we went in and made that presence— you know, once we went in and made that presence, it made the people on the street that would cause harm and do harm hide. I, I still think to this day, if they just unleashed, you know, if the sheriffs or whoever's in charge of these, you know, the warrants now, if they just unleashed them, it would <clears throat> decrease some of the some of these problems a little bit. Obviously, there's no actual cure for this. As you know, you've seen and, you know, and I know you study it more than anyone. Like, what is the answer here? What do you think, Prof? You know, I mean, I don't think there is any easy solution. I think one of the problems, you know, we talk about the warrants. You could send every officer in the city out into the streets. You could lock up every single person with a warrant. But the reality is, where are you going to put them? Most county jails, most prisons are are over capacity as it is. You really don't even have a place to put most of these folks. Um, when you look at somewhere like Philly, the, you know, the, the, the judiciary, it's essentially a, a revolving door. I mean, we've talked about this before. You lock somebody up on Friday on a warrant, it's, you know, judge only or something, they really want them, they're out three days later. Right. Um, so I honestly don't even know what you do. And we've had these arguments in, you know, in different cities or states throughout the country. We need stricter laws. We have laws. I know. Criminals just don't follow the laws, and then judges rarely, if ever, actually <clears throat> So, you know, what do you do? And nobody wants to hear more prisons or, or stricter punishment. You know, if anything, we're trying to move away from that. So it's it's kind of a, a complicated um, matter. And I, I really don't know what the answer is. If it is, I'd be, you know, making a lot of money as a consultant somewhere. Well, the, the problem is, and you're saying it, it's anybody. There is a video going around on Twitter, <clears throat> and I will send it out later. Um, as you remember, Moss Playground, it's in the— uh, yeah the Wissanomi slash Frankfurt section of Philadelphia. Yeah, I got my jaw broken there. How can I right. forget it? That's right. <laughs> I remember that. 
There's a there's a video of a guy with a look like an AK-47, honestly, outside of his truck, shooting up the street. A lady videoed it, taped the whole thing, went to our fearless leaders with it. Guy got arrested, and the wonderful DA that he is today dropped the charges. They didn't even call this witness in. Didn't even call her in. She had the video, took it. They used it to get him locked up. He went in, back out. It's the guy that just shot um, at the uh, undercover cop or off-duty cop. What, what was that? The other night, the, uh, it's, I know it, it's like white noise anymore. Uh, I don't know. There was it's, a guy. He's wanted right now. The FBOP just put a $5,000 reward. He shot into an unmarked car the other night. A couple nights ago, Sarge. You know the the reality is though people you know, they, they talk about crime reform and we talk about safe streets, but the reality is if people actually voted about the same issues they talk about, these folks wouldn't be in power. Yeah, that's um, so. The reality is the voters and the, the unions and these big blocks of voters in Philadelphia vote for people that are soft on crime on purpose, and this is the result. This is what you get. Um, you know, the average people in their homes aren't safe. Officers on the street aren't safe. Nobody is. Nobody is. But if you can have a, a, a march with a sign that says free Meek and pretend that he's he's somehow the hero, um, you'll get voted back in. That's that's what you see. Now, let me tell you, I was working down down at the courts when when all that was going on. You want to talk about a shit show? There you go. Yeah. But well, you know, the, the problem with all this stuff is, um, you know, honestly, the thing I always hated was even with the Mumia stuff is when people outside of Philadelphia get involved and it's people that have tiny bits and pieces of information. So the Beastie Boys and the French government, everybody else is jumping in. And I think, worry about your problems, Beastie Boys. Worry about yeah. the stuff in your neighborhoods. Well, those... um, and, and, you know, they make, they make celebrities out of folks and push these issues when they really don't know what happened. Um, and, you know, the media doesn't do them any favors. You have Netflix and these other um, media outlets that kind of push nonsense. And people see bits and pieces. We saw this with the making a murderer thing. I know. A complete debacle and a farce. <laughs> um, but people see it and they get a tiny bit of information and they think they know and, and they want you know they want justice or answers and you know they're not really acting on on the entire story, which is terrifying and scary. It's you know it, it's a shame. You almost got to throw your hands up. Like what can you do? I mean, yeah. Now Aaron was in the middle of it for for years. I mean, you were always on the units uh, for people that don't know. A lot of the Philadelphia police will have special units called Tom units where they go out mm -hmm. and they just go out after the aggressive calls. They're, they're proactive. They're not reacting to just radio calls. They're out there being proactive. I mean, you dealt with this right. more than you know we did. When we were in, all in the warrant unit, our job was pretty specific. Go to the house, get the guy, get the girl, right. usually, get them, take them to jail. Usually in a district, <clears throat> they'll have um, a FOB squad, which is detective the tactical teams and those the tactical teams are supposed to go out and handle like all the gun calls the robberies the rapes things that the high violent crops those are the ones that they are to target the, you know the, the, the real problem areas in the uh, districts the problems that we're seeing now is that it's you know with the with the mood that's going on with policing everything now is hands off people are afraid to do their job even if you do your job the right way it's the scrutiny that comes behind it you know god forbid if you stop someone 
who's black, who lives in a black neighborhood where 90, 98.5% of the people in the neighborhood are black and you stop them, then you're, you know, you're, you're going to be scrutinized for why did you stop this person? Well, it's probably because 98.5% of the people in this neighborhood is black. If I worked in an area where 98.5% of the people were white, then the person that I stopped would be white. But it's just that, you know, no, no one is really willing to put their, uh, their livelihood on the line. Now, is and it, un, unfortunately, then you have the people, the good people who live in these communities, you know, they're the ones who really pay for it. Yeah. And yeah. I, I have, and I have countless officers right now who want to actually come on, talk, tell their story, but they're afraid to even do that. Even hiding behind, you know, a fake name, even altered voice. They're afraid because <laughs> they don't feel anybody has their back. And I'm sure they know their supervisors would, you know, do their best to have their backs. But as we saw with the incident on the, the highway in Philly where, you know, SWAT guy, you know, uh, had to spray that, that um, protester was sitting in the middle of the highway. He got authority. And this is in the news. This isn't, you know, something um, that I'm making up. The authority came down from the mayor, the managing director of the city, the commissioner and all to go ahead and use that force. Okay. OC spray. It's not the end of the world. And guess what? Every cop gets it done to them. It sucks. It's not the end of the world. And what that SWAT officer did was fine. Because guess what? If I have a mask on my face and I spray and you spray me, it's not going to work. You got to move the mask. And for them to make him the scapegoat and then his commander falling on the sword and self-demoting himself after everybody knows it's the worst kept secret. They were told to do it is is just the wrong message that sends all the way down to the frontline men and women. Like Aaron said, everybody and every single cop I speak to say the same thing. I'm afraid to do my job, even the right way. I'm afraid to do it because everything is going to be just on top of me. It's going to be absolutely ridiculous. And the crazy thing is that incident, everything had to be approved. You know, and it's when you know, like when every single officer knows that when that officer did that, he got the okay to do it and he still got jammed up. What what does anyone in the world expect to happen in their cities at that point? Crime is going to fly, fly up. The murders are out of control. 280 right now already. There's this is just absurd. All this. And, I, and I'm not turning this into a political show, but we all know why. These are the narratives that are run every four years in a presidential. You know, cops bad, beat up everybody. They hurt, you know, they hurt the, all the black people they ever inter- interact with. I mean, it's just, it's just a joke. And now good <laughs> cops are just afraid to do their own job. But and see, it that's just the, sucks. That's the narrative that's pushed by the mainstream media mm-hmm. is that, you know, cops don't like black people. And, you know, then, you know, if you you push this agenda and you you talk about it all the time and you're showing commercials that's speaking about police officers uh, treating people, you know, unfairly. And this is what you push and you push it and you push it. But what happens is it it incites a certain emotion inside of people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you know, and so when, when these emotions kind of erupt, you know, what do you get? You know, you get a city that's out of control, you know, because you know, this, uh, is, this is the agenda that's being pushed. 
I'll tell you guys, even from an academic viewpoint, um, you would think that in academia they'd be interested in facts and numbers, not on emotion and, and these isolated instances. Um, and when it comes to criminal justice and policing, it's the complete opposite. Um, you know, people in the criminal justice field are afraid to even talk. There was recently a couple of researchers that had a paper that was put out that said that officers um, are not more likely to use violence or to shoot a black suspect as opposed to a white suspect. And they actually requested the paper be depublished, unpublished, because they took so much criticism and backlash from people over what was an academic research paper. Well, see, um, so, you know, <clears throat> go ahead, sorry. I'm sorry. See, but that's the thing, right? Once you go ahead and you like uh, start talking about the facts and numbers, mm -hmm. see, then that brings in accountability. All right. And so yep. then that means that people have to actually face the music instead of just, you know, listening to the music. You have to actually be faced with, OK, this is this here is the problem. And then you have mm -hmm. to figure out a way of how you're going to deal with it. But no one wants to be accountable because, you know, accountability, you know, then you can narrow down and say, OK, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And as long as we mm -hmm. just continue to listen to the music and nothing gets done, you can continue to point the finger at the next person. And that's yep. what yep. they do. It's honestly just a shame to see people willfully ignoring the fact. Um, you know, and again, and I view academia as complicit. You guys talk about how hard it is on the streets and how how moral you know morale is low. Um, I would say for many in academia, it's the same thing. If you go to look at the average university, you're you're more likely to find a radical socialist professor than than even a, a run of the mill Republican. Um, and you know the reason is conservatives have been chased off campus. Um, they're not interested in this marketplace of ideas that universities are supposed to be. And the result is you kind of get an echo chamber where all we hear is one side of this argument, one side of the discussion, um, which is terrifying. I mean, you know, you think you would turn to academics and researchers to say, look, here's what we think's happening. Are we right? Can you help us? Is this true? Yeah. Well, um, and people are afraid to even do the research. Yeah, because to be black today and give an honest opinion about something it's like that's that's taboo yeah now you're a sellout right you know you're a sellout you're uncle tom you don't understand you're black but you're not really black you know and so um if you have an opinion you know that differs from the the mass opinion of everyone else then you know then you're you're targeted you know what I mean? Now, Ooh. your job is in jeopardy. Now, these people are going to come for you because you don't agree with with the agenda that's put out there. So it's like you you have black people who don't agree with a lot of the things that are going on out here. But, you Ooh. know, if they, you know, talk about what they believe in, then, you know, that's their jobs, that's their livelihoods. And, you know, then they're targeted Then their children are targeted by, by the same very people who look exactly just like them, who look just like me, who are black, Ooh. just like me, who are black, just like them, you know. And so it's like if you're black, you have to agree with us because we're black, and that's it. All right, and that's let, let, let me let me ask you this. I mean, I, I know um, you know we kind of see a lot about the official narrative that's being put down by the mayor and the, the prosecutors and these kind of folks. What do you think about the people in the actual neighborhoods, Aaron? You see them more than anybody else. Um, I know you know the mayor and a lot of their folks are against arrest and against all this stuff. What do, what do the average person in the neighborhood think? What do they feel? Average person in the neighborhoods aren't really against the police the way that people try to paint the picture that they are against the police. You have a oh. lot of good people in these communities, a lot of people who are 
stuck in these uh, neighborhoods, you know, due to circumstances, you know, the, you know, the economy is messed up. People are out of work. People are unemployed and, you know, people are desperate, but the people don't want the police to be defunded. You know, you know, you have 46 shootings. I think it was like, what, a week ago, two, two weeks ago, 46 shootings, 11 homicides in a weekend. Yeah. So yeah. what do you get off defunding the police? Like who's who's going to come into these neighborhoods, these unarmed uh, social workers who they're talking about, who's going to come out there and get yeah. their and get their asses handed to them? You know, yeah. like who's going to take the place? Well, uh, and that's the thing. It's the like, even if you're against everything, you're against the rules and the anarchy that's going over in some of these cities right now. You have to realize that is the dumbest decision you could possibly make. Here, here, here's the crazy thing of it: you defund the police. So you, we all remember what just you know happened in Portland when they took over and made that autonomous zone, right? What's the Seattle? Seattle, Seattle you're right. The, I apologize. The jazz. Jazz. What's, People of the Jazz are angry. What's the first thing they did? They built a border. <laughs> they they made a security team. That went around harassing all the people within Chaz. It's the same exact thing you're bitching about that real cops do. You literally just did that in a matter of days. Like it's just. And then they shot and killed an unarmed young man. Yeah. Remember? And it's just <laughs> a, a young, a black man too, I believe. Right. Yeah. yeah like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like that's where it's just so ridiculous. And you add that stress onto the cops today. And it's well, a I mean, un, no. un, it's unnecessary. It's ridiculous. They're so it's so stressful <laughs> as it is. And then you're adding. I'd like, to know, that. I'd like to know if somebody even talked to the social workers about this. You know, <laughs> they keep saying the social workers were doing. I think I talked about this on class on Friday. We do like news article Fridays where we talk about policing. Um, and I kind of said, do you think the overworked, underpaid social worker now wants to go into a situation where they might deal with a potentially violent person, might be mentally unstable, might be armed? They're not going to have a gun. They're not going to have any of the training that the officers like Aaron have. Um, you know, do you really think that's something that they're interested in? I wouldn't. If I was a social worker, I would not be. I mean, you're setting these people up for failure. You're setting these people yeah. up to potentially be killed, to be hurt. Yeah. yeah. You know, they have no tools. You know, they have yeah. no equipment. You know, you just have these people in position who is just saying, hey, I think this sounds like a great idea. You know, yeah. well, well, why don't you? person with this great idea be the first in line to go ahead and actually go out here and put some boots on the ground and see if it actually works before you just send these men and women out here into these into these neighborhoods and say do a job the thing is is that you, in these communities you have a lot of oppressed people and people are struggling you know mentally uh financially sure. and these people are broken and now you're going to have people come into their homes Right. And then dictate to them how they should live and how they shouldn't live when life is already hard enough. You know, people feel like that they're being picked on by the police. You, you know what I mean? And they feel like that they can't do anything about that. You know, and now you're going to send some unarmed person into your house to to kind of perpetuate the same thing. Like, come Wait, on. Just listening yeah. to you say it, it just it, it's so absurd. It's so ridiculous. But, you know, that's. Again, after November third, not to turn this political, all that stuff will will go away. You know, well, peace. You know, I don't know. Well, I don't know, I don't know about that. After <laughs> no, See, it they, could get crazy afterwards. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're true because yeah, he's going to win again. So, um, I, 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 it's well, well, Trump doesn't want to defund the police. Yeah, I know. You know, he's no. actually he's actually for the police. Biden doesn't technically want to defund them either, but he can't say that right now because if he does, you know, it, he loses support. It, 
it, sure, sure. It, it's absurd. Alleg- but allegedly, he loses his support. Exactly. Let me so that. let's let's jump into. Um, <laughs> yeah, was, although, although, real quick, although yeah. all studies indicate that nobody really wants to fund the police, right? Even in the black community, it's something like eighty some percent of people are against this idea. Right. It, somehow it, we're we're bowing down to this small minority of people that wanted to fund the police. It's idiotic. You got these people, most of these people who come here and, and come up with these crazy requests, they don't even live in Philadelphia. Yeah. You have yeah, these in the outside <laughs> people who come here and say, this is my chance to feel important because I feel uh-huh. I don't feel important anywhere in my life. And so now I'm going to come to Philadelphia and I'm going to try to capitalize on a on on a moment. And that's what they do. You know, it's it's great. It's ridiculous. And, it's and the reality is these are the these folks won't be affected either. No, they these won't. Are the people that live in the, they live in the gated communities or in the high rises and they have got guards and private security. But why it's do you the same as the politicians that want to get rid of guns are surrounded by armed officers and security details, but they want to get rid of guns for you and me. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Why, why do you think they want to do that? It actually would benefit them and keep them safer because if you give these people, whoever these people may be, you know, um, the right to do whatever they want, they don't have to go anywhere else to do their crime when everything is here local for them. Well, what it yep. really does is it keeps the people kind of localized into certain areas. They don't have to go out and commit mm-hmm. crimes anywhere. They're not going to come up there into those gated communities. Why? They can just go ahead and rob and ravage the people that they live around in their yep. neighborhoods because they're yep. not going to be charged. You know, they're going yep. to say, oh, I'm black and I'm I'm poor and, you know, I'm 30 and I, I read at a sixth grade level. And so you're going to let me out of j- out of jail because of these reasons. And then this person is going to go and commit the same crimes all over again. So they don't have to go anywhere because everything is provided for them. It's set up for them to to fail. Yeah. And and then, you know, you, you let these people right back out into the into the same community. And the only people who pay for it is the people who are really trying to make it out here. Yeah, it's yeah, the honest citizens. Yeah, the honest people. Well, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's almost not even worth talking about because it's so absurd and unrealistic. But that's just, you know, the, the world we live in today. But to change the topics a little bit, I want to lighten it up. Lighten it up before we, you know, talk about that crazy um, summer day last year with Aaron. Last week, our last episode, we talked about some of the funny stories that we did. Um, Aaron, I know you heard it, but we were talking about Uncle Matty. Right. And some of the crazy stuff he did. I wanted to say today that although Uncle Matty did some funny things and God rest his soul Mm -hmm. and made us laugh. That man did some amazing things for people. And I want to give one of the stories that I forgot last week. When he was towards the end of his career at the warrant unit, mm-hmm. he used to work in our house arrest department. And what that was, uh, some of our officers would go out and put individuals on house arrest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the courts deemed them to be on house arrest for whatever reason. And these officers would go out, hook them up. Make sure gave them the you know the rules and regulations and go on with their day. Well, he took a guy out and he took him to this house and Uncle Matty was so upset by his conditions. He had electricity. Uh, he said he was only going to have it for a couple more days. It was going to go out because he couldn't pay the bill. Once that goes out, we got to come lock you back up. Right. No food in his house. Uncle Matt off when he got done. He's like, okay, don't worry about it. I'll take, I'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. The guy had no idea what he was talking about, but okay. Leaves, gets off of work, goes food shopping. 
takes the food back to this guy's house, buys him all this food, pays his electric bill. Now, this is Uncle Matt. This is some of the things he would do. And Mm -hmm. he would do that all the time. Like, we would actually make fun of him. Like, what are you doing? You're trying to adopt people. Like the time he uh, went and bought Christmas uh, gifts for the kids. uh, In the wintertime, he went back to their house. And, yeah, he would do stuff like that all the time. he had a good heart. Yeah, and he was just a, one of the greatest guys ever. Yeah. I just I wanted to put that out. I know we made a little couple jokes on his expense last week, um, and they were funny. But the uh, one of the things at our unit when we were all together, um, Aaron and I were in class 102. We started in 06, January of 06. I was actually there a few uh, months prior to my class coming in. We had one of the greatest group of guys Ever in that class. I mean, still to this day, yeah. I think it was it was just an amazing group. We were talking about another story today of a foot chase <laughs> that lasted, <laughs> I think, forty minutes. <laughs> forty minutes. <laughs> now, when now when I say forty minutes, like we weren't running nonstop for forty minutes. That's insane. So what happened was, me, Aaron, and another person went to this house we got a tip he was there with his girl so we were a three-man team and how it would work two of us me and aaron go to the front door third guy goes to the back of the house we knock girlfriend lets us in we do an interview with her she you know plays the role 90 percent of the people we ever dealt with lied (laughs) <laughs> and that was okay. That was their job. They lied. It didn't right. matter who they were, what race, what age, mother, grandmother, kids. They all lied. <laughs> and today was no different. So she was like, he's not here. He doesn't live here. Blah, blah, blah. So we keep our third person in the rear. I think we may have actually forgot to tell him to come back around. But we come out front. We search. We don't find him. We come out front. Base of window is open now now these are row homes just picture wherever you live mm-hmm. 30 row homes on a block some of them had a hundred so we're in the middle of a block windows open we know he escaped so we call the rear guy around we're like damn all right we lost them we'll do a quick survey of the neighborhood which means we'll just drive around see if we spot them anywhere so <laughs> the third guy had his own car me and Aaron were in the lead car. So we turn, we come up to this red light. We're looking around like, what the hell, man? Can't believe we lost him. Can't believe that happened. We turn to our right and he, Aaron goes, you know, you see that guy on the payphone? <laughs> and I look and I didn't want to be too obvious because he's staring at us. Right. I was like, yep. He's like, there he is. So we both look forward like we didn't sail. We go to make a right-hand turn to get out right in front of him. He takes off. <laughs> I jump out. I get in a foot pursuit. Aaron stays in the car. The other, uh, our third guy actually got out of his car and got in a foot pursuit behind me. So we chase him. Now, we chase him up this alleyway. <laughs> and I don't remember the streets, but I remember there, every alleyway in the city of Philadelphia has overgrown trees, bushes, poison, ivy, trash, you name 37 it. 37 pit bulls. Uh, yeah, and, I was just about to say, pit bulls. Everyone has a pit bull. Unchained, yeah. mind you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we run through. We go all the way. We chase him into that alley. 
dump to another one. So the alleyway dumps off into a street. He runs through the next alleyway. We lose him. So we run, we start searching each yard. We keep, you know, do a look in, look in. We get close. He would jump up and run again. <laughs> this went on literally for a half hour. Now, what's crazy about this story is if you ever watched the uh, Fast and Furious and you see how those cars, when they go and make a turn and they slide and the wheels go and the back of the car goes out and the driver somehow regains control of the vehicle and goes straight. Well, Aaron <laughs> actually had that happen. So we're chasing a guy down this street now. He is coming um, down another street. Aaron's coming down the street, makes a left-hand turn at like 90. <laughs> the back of the truck, because we used to drive Ford Explorers, oh, it wipes out. He's literally sliding sideways. <laughs> he gains control, brings the front wheel to the right. And he actually straightened out. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in person. Still to this day, I talk about how he held that car and didn't hit anything because you were right next to some parked cars. And eventually, we wind up finding this guy hiding under a kiddie pool in one of these alleyways. It was one of the most ridiculous foot chases. I remember our lieutenant at the time was in Center City at our main office. He left at the start of the foot pursuit when I, when I announced it, got to our location, which was probably, it's only in Northwest Philly, 15-minute mm -hmm. ride mm -hmm. with lights and sirens. Yeah. <laughs> and he got up there. We finally caught the guy, and he did. He snuck out. As soon as we went in the front, he snuck out the basement, and, you know, the rest was history. But that, the way that car wiped the way Aaron turned that car and held on to it, man, I'm still impressed to this day. It was. <clears throat> but you know what's funny is that you say he was hiding underneath a, uh, a kiddie pool, but that's that's the crazy thing is that you know people will hide in some of the craziest spots. You know, oh, like yeah. the craziest the people will do the craziest things. Where was the craziest spot you found someone? Because I know I'm going to be that guy that can top it. Go ahead. We went to a house and we knock on the door and a guy actually came to the he came to the window he peeked out the window we saw him and he runs back into the house and so you know we had someone out back and of course we were out front so eventually we make our way into the house and we're searching the house and we're like we we we've seen this guy this guy came to the window and we know he's in here and we're searching the house and we can't find him so we're just looking and we're looking and we're looking and we're looking and next thing you know um we look over to our right, and it's this this plastic tote. It's a tote, <laughs> and the tote started like moving <laughs> because the guy he went and he hit in the tote, but the, the his family like put the, they sealed the lid so he couldn't breathe. So I, I guess he was running out of oxygen, and the tote started moving, and then he just popped out the tote and was just like, ah, I can't breathe. Oh, my <laughs> God. I, the, that's great. I, we actually had a girl we used to always lock up. Her name was Virginia. I won't say her last name. Um, Kensington Ave. She was, I, I loved locking this girl up because she was 80 pounds, soaking wet, looked like, uh, you know, dirty blonde hair, blue eyed girl, mm -hmm. but she would talk like she was from the South and she would give it to you when she was mad. Mm -hmm. That's when she wasn't wanted. 
Okay, so when we drive by and she started cursing us out, like, fuck you, you suck, you ain't ever gonna catch me. We knew she wasn't wanted. Right. <laughs> when we would drive by and she would talk and she'd sound like a little high school, you know, white girl, and she'd be like, hey guys. We're like, mm. she's wanted. Right. We grab her the one night, she, she actually, right as we got out of the car, she ran into this house. We went in, couldn't find her. We're like, she's in here. She was in a tote, but she was tiny. And the only reason we uh, even found her in that tote is because our old partner, uh, Billy, kicked, just was kicking it. Like, damn, I'm pissed. <laughs> and boom, he kicks it. And she's like, you motherfucker. And she got up and started screaming and yelling at us. And it was man. great. We're like, oh, man, that was that was not the crazy. The best one I've ever seen was a guy had a dresser. His, his, um, I was there. Oh, yeah, you were there. It was, Kensington. Yep, well, Port Richmond. I was going to tell that story. You just saw ah, my story. Go ahead. You tell it. You tell it. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. We'd actually got tipped off by the kid's mom. We'd been looking for him for a while. Got tipped <clears> off. <throat> it was down in Kensington. In one of the little, you know, little small homes there. We showed up. I think I was doing the recording that day. And uh, came in. And mom is screaming and yelling and effing me up and this and that. And she's pointing upstairs. Right. right. So obviously, dude's in the house. Right. She just got to. She has to play a part. Right. Exactly. She's got to put, you know, <laughs> put up the front. She's calling me an MF for this and that, pointing upstairs. Yeah. So we're like, all right, cool. I guess, did you go upstairs and search them? Were you one of the search? I, I searched. So we went, right. up. went upstairs in the bedroom. There's nothing there, right? It was nothing. Nowhere around. We actually searched the house, couldn't find them, no. came back down, and we kind of gave her a little bit of a hard time. And she was like, I'm the yeah. one that called you guys. He's up yeah. there. Yeah. So we were allowed to search under beds. You know, we could flip a mattress because they could hollow it out. We could right. even search in a refrigerator. Yeah, we were allowed to search where a body, where could, a be body could fit. Anywhere a body could fit, yeah. that's the place that you can search. So yeah. we wound up pulling. What we would do, this was the first time we did it. And it was, all right, pull the middle drawer out. Because it was a big bureau. It was a big dresser. We pulled yeah. the middle one out, so that way we didn't say we we're going through all the drawers. You know, we just pulled the middle one out so we could take a look inside, mm -hmm. and it wouldn't move. So then we tried to pull all of them, and they were glued shut. We're like, yeah. what well, the heck? So well, I was we, downstairs. We, the mom's fed the dresser. He's in the dresser. I'm like, I can't go over the radio and tell you. This. Right. You know what I mean? It was ridiculous. So we move it, and there he was. And, and, well, he, and hollowed, his, he hollowed out he the hollowed dresser. He hollowed out the dresser. and. Yep. Glued the glued the drawers shut. <laughs> that Listen, was. I use this example all the time. I do a class on energy <clears throat> seizure, and I use this example all the time. And I kind of talk about, <laughs> generally speaking, you can search areas where a person could hide, right? Right. So can you open up the underwear drawer, the sock drawer? No. But you can move the dresser to make sure that it is indeed intact. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And I use that example. And I talk about if you're called before the court, you have to be able to say, in my training and experience, these are the situations I've come into. This is why I'm searching this area. Right. Yeah, the guy had glued the front on so it looked real and was hiding behind it. The only other really good one, I don't know if you might have been there with this one too, Sarge. Were you there when the guy got into the drywall up the far northeast? And L that, like the air conditioned vent? And then was it the one where LT actually pulled him back down through the ceiling? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, through, through the drywall, basically, yeah. <laughs> He got in through one of the small exhaust vents up in the drywall, like a horror film. <laughs> and uh, the girlfriend's like, he's in there. And I'm thinking, like, I'm not sticking my head in there. This is how you get, you know, this is how you get killed. Like, I'm not just sticking my head in this vent, man. 
And, uh, yeah, he got pulled out through the drywall. <laughs> All, I remember I'm downstairs. I was the recorder. And what the recorder yeah. means, I was the interviewer. So my job that night was to interview all the people, take the notes, write the reports later. So I'm talking to the mom. And all of a sudden, I hear this crash. <laughs> all It just sounded like a china cabinet fell over with everything breaking. And the mom starts looking over like, what in the world is going on? I was like, ah, don't worry about it. They just dropped the plate or something. <laughs> She's like, drop the plate. She's like, my whole upstairs just crashed. I was like, it's no big deal. It's, I'm just trying to you know, calm her down. And she's like, no fucking big deal. She's like, what are they doing? I was like, I don't know what they're doing. I'm here with you. Say, uh, <clears throat> LT brings him down and walks him right out. And she's like, what happened? <laughs> he goes, he fell out of the ceiling. <laughs> but when he, in his voice and how he would say it when he was excited is classic. It just makes me cry every time I think about it. He would yeah. always, whatever. Oh, my God. It was absolutely, it was it was hysterical. And we would walk out and leave my card like, all right, have a nice day. And she's just sitting there like, what the fuck just happened here, you know? <laughs> um, what did, another one, I found uh, somebody in yeah. a refrigerator. Um, yeah, they, they hit yeah. in a refrigerator. So yeah. you would think, why are you looking in the refrigerator? Yeah, I had someone hide behind some stairs, like in the in the basement. You know how the basements mm -hmm. usually have like open stairs. So they took, they just yeah got and like sat behind the stairs and they took like a, um, like a pan or something and just held it in front of their face. You can see their entire <laughs> body. They just had a pan in front of their face. Like, if I sit here long enough and I don't move with this pan in front of my me. face, they won't see like me. Like when you're a kid and afraid at night, when right. you're having a bad dream, right. if I just right. close my eyes, they won't right. see me. They won't see me. I, I, I remember hitting the, hitting the house. I remember hitting the house, but it was early in my career, and somebody went to hide behind a TV stand, and it was like a little tiny TV stand and a small TV, and you could see like, the, like three quarters of their body out from behind it, and it was just the most absurd thing I've ever seen in my life. I remember just coming up and like thinking, like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is bizarre. We uh, had, but hey, people get desperate, man. They I, get desperate. We yeah. had a, a a young girl, northeast, far northeast, big nice house, and she oh. she had a probation warrant. So that means her probation officer wanted her arrested. So we went out. Oh. Mom and grandmom lived there. Now I felt bad because both had cancer. Grandmom was like on a oh. bed. Mom was still functioning, but, you know, mom's like, we both have cancer. We're sorry. She was here, but she literally leaves, doesn't tell us. We're like, okay. So we do kind of a courtesy mm -hmm. search. Um, we didn't care if we really found her at that moment. We do the courtesy search. We're like, all right, listen, just call us. If she comes back, you know, we'll come pick her up and make it, as, you know, you know, painless as possible. Mm -hmm. And... You know, so we're leaving and we hear just the slightest noise from upstairs because mm -hmm. what what she wound up doing was peeking out of her hiding spot, listening to hear if we were gone. <laughs> and I was like, oh. I was like, ma'am, I'm sorry. She's here. We, we got to go up and get her. And then they, now they got aggravated with us here at the end. It was all they were just hiding her for. They were just playing dumb and hiding her, which is fine. Yeah. So we go up. And just picture an attic in your house if you have one. There's an attic door in this girl's bedroom. Now, we didn't see it at first because it was hidden behind a closet. 
Right. And we didn't really do a full search because we wanted to give them benefit of the doubt. So we see it. We're like, all right, she's probably in there. Now we pushed it door in. Now it's only, it's a small box. We couldn't even crawl through it. The problem was we can see straight. As we're looking straight, there's a wall to the right of us that goes all the way to the back of the house. We, no way we could possibly get in there. So we hear, we finally hear her moving a little bit. And we're like, all right, I don't remember. Amanda, let's just say. We're like, Amanda, come on, let's go. Stop doing this to your family, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> finally, she acknowledges she's in there. We are literally negotiating with her because there's no way we could get her out. And we're not going to tear her walls <laughs> down. We're like, after, I think, 10 minutes, I finally said to her, listen, if you come out, we'll stop at McDonald's before I take you to prison. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's my final offer. That's the deal. <laughs> we'll stop at Mickey D's on the way out. I get you a kid's meal, a happy meal, whatever you want. I was like, but otherwise, I said, we're going to have to go get the dogs, you know, and yeah, we're well, going to let the dogs dog, in, right? come get you. <laughs> now, you couldn't say that to a lot of people, especially real criminals. Oh. They know you can't do certain oh. things. And you never, oh. and for any new cop that's listening, don't ever say you're going to do something that you literally <laughs> cannot do. Yeah, don't do because that. Because yeah. you're going to get punked. And when you do, yeah. you're done. That's it, right. Even with your own partners too they're gonna be like yeah okay yeah yeah so she came out we lock her up and i didn't take her to mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> i was so mad at her man, oh, man. <laughs> i thought you were going to say you Hell took no, her. <laughs> no. I, and listen i ain't gonna lie i've stopped and got people food before because i was hungry i was like i know i'm gonna be sitting at the prison because when we had locked somebody up we went right to the prison we right. didn't have to go do any paperwork we didn't have to go to a district. It was an arrest could literally take a five minute arrest in the house, a five minute ride to the prison, mm. five minutes yeah. waiting, and I'm back out hitting a house in 20 minutes. Not a big deal. If, yeah. If um, you're lucky. If you're lucky. Never in rare, rare scenarios. But there's another one I want to tell this story. It wasn't a hiding story, but this is still one of the funniest stories. And this is my go to story when, whenever I'm out somewhere and I tell them what I do or what I used to do. So me, Aaron, and our lieutenant, we go to the old York Road area of Philly. Um, this is a heavy prostitution area for transgenders. In the 35th district. In the 35th, 35th and 25th district. Right. So we had to go find. Now, back then, this is probably 2006, seven. Um, it was probably in that area. <laughs> what a lot of these... Uh, women would do is when they would get arrested, they would use what they would call their government name. So the person we were looking for his government name was Derek. So whenever he, he would, she would get arrested, he would say, no, I'm a male. And right. they would process him as a man. Right. Whenever he's, he's out and doing his tricks at night, <laughs> he was, I believe was Darlene. Oh. I don't remember. But the thing with, you know, we'll, we'll say Darlene to be politically correct was she was six foot six normally. Okay. We spot her and she's in heels. She's, she's in heels, got a, a dress on the whole nine yards. We're looking for, her, we spot her. <laughs> so we get out and we play dumb. Now, technically we're looking for Derek, but we know it's her. And we play dumb, and I remember we're all talking. 
and she was actually um, ribbing our lieutenant at the time, saying that she could slam on him, like slam dunk on him and stuff. And I remember we were just making fun of it. But while while we're talking, and the reason why we didn't just jump out their handcuffs on and lock her up, we would always have to verify the warrant um, at you know right before the arrest, right. because although they were wanted. When we left the shift, they could have been in the district getting processed and got out on that warrant right. before we hit the street. Right. So I'm confirming. And one of our code word for when somebody was wanted <laughs> was holler. holler. <laughs> Whoever invented that was brilliant. Oh, holler, yeah. <laughs> that, I remember that. <laughs> so whenever you heard a warrant investigator say holler, holler yeah. that person was wanted. <laughs> it got so popular that when we would lock up some girls or some of the guys in Kensington, and they would hear us say it, they would start panicking because they knew. Right. They knew they a were, holler. They knew you, a holler. Man. Like, that's a holler. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I said, like, that's a holler. And LT goes, all right, listen, Derek, we got to take you down. No problem. We're going to get it squared mm. away. Yeah. And he started, she started like, oh, okay, okay. Boom. She runs. She runs out of her shoes. Out of those heels, yeah. I believe her, her, her weave fell off, and me, Aaron, and Sam literally started crying laughing. It was so funny that we didn't even chase her at that moment. We're like, oh my, it was just hilarious. We are crying, cracking up, laughing. So, And she took off, man. She was mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. She runs towards Broad Street. So we jump in our cars, we chase her. She runs down the Broad Street subway line. That's our subway in Philadelphia. It's like three in the morning. Uh-huh. Me and Lieutenant, we go down to uh, basically chase her. Aaron went to the next stop, hoping she would pop up there. So we go down on the platform. There's a guy working. Uh, he's cleaning up. We're like, are there any trains coming? And he says, no, no trains until 5 a.m. You're good. All right, so from that, that was, what's that, the Old York Road stop right there, do you think? What's that? That's, um... We're, like, brought in Old York right that's there. That's, like, uh, Broughton and Windrum. Okay. Is it Broughton, like, Windrum, I believe? Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure what stop it was, but it's right, uh, one of those stops right there. The next one's probably, what, a mile and a half down, heading south, heading towards Center City. I don't remember which one it was, but the point was, you, Aaron went to that stop, <laughs> Me and LT went down. Guy was like, yeah, we're good. You're good. There's no trains coming. And we're like, did you see a person run? He's like, the guy was like, yep. He went that way. We're like, okay. We go down on the tracks. We're walking. We're looking in. Now, the uh, the Broad Street line in the tunnel, there's just little, like, nooks that you can hide every few feet. So we're looking everywhere. We're looking. We're walking slow. We get halfway down. I keep looking back because I'm afraid. I don't care that guy said. I'm afraid a train's coming. Yeah. Keep looking. Keep looking. Boom. Here comes a train. <laughs> I can see the headlights in the distance. Now, we're stuck in between both stations. We can't do anything. So it's getting closer and closer. I start waving my flashlight. to like, oh, there's people here. Crazy twist to that part. I'll tell at the end. Train's still coming. It ain't stopping. What the hell? We literally got in between these two. It was like a curved cement area. Sucked it in. Oh, my God. And the train blew by us. (laughs) If I would have put my hand out, like, 
just to shake somebody's hand that distance, it's gone. <laughs> Flies by. After it gets by, the adrenaline rush we got at that moment, it was like, holy, like we were just screaming, cursing. We're like, let's go find that guy that lied to us. Mm. Ran back. <laughs> he was gone. <laughs> Get back up. And, yeah, we never found um, found her that day. She actually went and turned herself in a couple of days later. Yeah. So all was well. But to be politically correct, nowadays you have to make sure that you use the correct pronouns. So if he is a he, but he wants to be called she, and, you know, his name know. is Derek, and she wants to be called Darlene. I won't even. you have to call her by the correct pronoun. I won't even say what they used to, what we used to call them, right. because they told us what they wanted to be called. Right. I'm not even going to say it because I don't want anyone to get all crazy. Yeah. It actually makes complete sense, um, and I don't think it's derogatory at all. But after that, we leave, whatever, shifts over. I go home. I watch the news that night. And on the news, it tells they had a little segment about what to do if you're stuck on a railroad tracks and a train's coming <laughs> and how to stop the train. So let's just yeah. say I was going left to right. Mm -hmm. I don't know which way it is. Left to right means stop or it means go through. I don't know what, you know, up and down means one thing. Left to right means another. See, so I did. The faster, faster. That's what you were giving them. I gave him the come on through sign. <laughs> <laughs> However, I did it. That's what I did. I was like, come on through. You know, we're cool. No big deal. So that's why he came through. It was just so crazy that we had that happen. And then later on that night on the news, this random segment. Hmm. That's what we, that's what they talk about. I wow. mean. Absolutely not. That was that's my go-to story. I mean, there's we you know we have thousands I, of them. I, I'll tell you one thing, Ben. <clears throat> you know you you can uh, never really just make up these stories that you know. No. You know these stories and these these situations that you happen to run into on this job is just it's just crazy. People don't believe the things that you see. You know when you do this job when you do this for a living and you know they don't really think that people they're like you know oh people don't act like that and you're like yeah yeah they do. Dude, yeah. other cops don't believe our stories. Yeah. Now, like all of our, everyone from our unit, um, most of the people from our class went on to either become um, local cops, uh, state police, or federal. Um, a few of them are in the federal system. Mm -hmm. And when they tell the, our, our stories, people are like, what? <laughs> like, are you kidding? Like, really? Like, yeah. I'll tell another story later, you know, a few episodes, an incident with me, um, a a low, uh, 25th, 24th district cop and two FBI agents, you know, that put me, I went up getting put in a hospital on that one. I'll tell that another day. Um, <laughs> but I want to dive in before, you know, the night's out talking about stories because you have the craziest one I think ever. Um, like I said, in the beginning last summer, you know, the strike force, the Philadelphia strike force went to a house to serve a narcotics one. Nothing, nothing strange about that day. Um, yeah, hold on. You good there, T? Sounds like you're breaking up. You all right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm good. So that last August, they go in to serve a narcotics warrant, something that's been done a thousand times. Normal day. All hell breaks loose. You can go on any... Uh, any Philadelphia media outlet, YouTube even, CNN, all of it. And right, six officers shot in Philadelphia. That story comes up. Now, when we were all together, we would train constantly. Right. You know, going into a house, how to do it, 
where right. to search, how, everything tactically. Right. How do you stack? How do you take the door? How do you breach? All of those things. Cool. Everyone has a position, and everyone, you know, <laughs> knows exactly where they're supposed to be and exactly what they're supposed to do. And, yeah. And even when it's all perfectly done like that, right? if there's a guy inside that wants to kill you or a woman, and they're waiting... It's nothing that, you can do. Their odds are right. in their yeah. favor. The odds are in their favor. Because and that's right. They're already hunkered in. And so they are already in position and they're just waiting. So whenever you are going through a door, they call that the fatal funnel. Yep. <clears throat> when you're going through the door, because the doorway kind of actually um, silhouettes you. It actually makes you an easier target, especially if you're coming in and it's a dark room and then there's the light. It is just boom, there you go. You know, and so it makes you uh, easy to lock in on. And that's actually the one death in our warrant unit, Sergeant Joseph LeClaire. Um, I'll tell that story. I'm going to tell that next week because I'm trying to actually get some audio uh, from that night. That's what happened to him. Walked into the bedroom. The guy was waiting, shot through his blanket. Didn't even, they didn't even get to see, to see the gun. Just shot him point blank as he walked in the room. Um, but that day, the officers all go in. All hell breaks loose. At the end, when all the dust settles, six guys were shot, six officers were shot, two were stuck in the house. Our old partner here, Aaron, was one of those guys. Now, I know there's a lot you can't really say about it, but right. I know the part you can is, like, what in the hell was going through your mind that like after, I mean, I know what it's like to hear the gunshots and get in a gunfight and like, oh shit, this is where you're told a thousand times can happen. Right. And then now I mean, it's happening. You're used to, I mean, I'm, I'm used to training and I'm used to hearing gunshots and gunshots going off. Um, I've been shot at before on, on the job, you know, so that's, you know, um, but um, the way that it happened, the way that everything transpired, it was just nothing that you could really even mentally prepare for, you know, you, you can train and you can train. And when it happens, you know, you just hope for the best and hope that your training kicks in and, you know, that you can kind of prevail, but you know, it's nothing that can really prepare you for what's about to happen. It's, I know. And, and here's one thing that not even I, you can imagine, I mean, you were in it like this guy, just shot six people, just shot six police officers. This guy's trying to figure out where you guys are in the house, I'm sure, because uh, eventually he finds out that you're in there because the negotiators start calling, trying to work out deals. <laughs> and and I know you were in there for a long time. Several, I we were, uh, yeah, yeah I, I won't get into it. It, it yeah. was very long. Was However long, long that standoff was, unfortunately, you know, Aaron's in there the most of the time, did you? I remember a couple of the officer, a couple of our old partners, um, were texting each other. Did you get texts from people like, "Hey, are you a part of? Are you okay? Where are you at?" When it when it first, when we first made contact and went into the house, and you hear, we heard the first shot, and then we heard uh, a number of shots, and my partner and I, we um, let's just say we ended up being in the house for a while, right? And, you know, both of our phones were going off. 
you know, so we went from like, let's just say 100 percent down to 40 percent real quick because, you know, news spreads, you know, if a, if a, if a cop sends out a, a text that something's going on with another cop, you know, the whole department is going to know. Right. And, you know, you you spend enough time on this job, you meet a lot of people, you make a lot of contacts and people know you, you know, second, third party people know you and, you know, people are concerned. And so my phone was going off. I, I actually turned my phone off. Oh, did you? I turned my phone off because I just didn't, I wanted to stay focused for, you know, what was going on. I didn't want any distractions. You know, I had enough distractions around me. And so I just turned my phone off and, but I will say this, I did send out, I I did send out a text, you know, just to, you know, and then I turned my phone off. Right. That's, this is one of the, one of the craziest stories and. I think, it, it, unfortunately, it gets overshadowed what you guys all went through, what you, your partner in the house went through, what the six officers went through. It gets overshadowed uh, because something unusual happened that night, and that was not that the, the police commissioner got in direct communication with the gunman trying to get his officers out, which I'm okay with that, but it wound up turning into a defense lawyer getting involved Mm -hmm. to defend the guy calling the district attorney. And this is all stuff you can find on the news. Every news outlet reports it. How the commissioner at the time, the the district attorney and the uh, defense attorney all were a part of this negotiation to get this guy out safely, to get him out safely. I I know that's the, that's the narrative they spin, but, you know, it's to get you guys out safely. It should have been. Whether that guy came out or not alive that day, I know this ain't going to be a popular thing to say. He made his decision when he shot six people, six police officers, six human beings. You made your decision. You wanted to die that day. You know, God was on his side and everybody's side hmm. that day because everybody made it. But it sucks you know, when they were sending you out, and I know you went to Phillies games, Eagles games, and everybody was out there. Everyone's proud and happy, and that was great. Um, the story still, I believe, to this day gets overshadowed because it was just on the news the other day. And when it was on, it was still talking about how the DA was involved and, it, and the, uh, you know, the negotiations to stop it. It, it was insane, you know. And I know, and it sucks— the reason um, they did it that way is because, again, we, they don't want all hell to break loose with the neighborhood. They don't want rioting. You know, and that's what, every, that's what all the words came out from um, during that time is they just want to make sure the neighborhood didn't go crazy because, God forbid, you know, saving the lives of these officers, this, this guy was shot, killed, or injured. And... It sucks because you got those officers that got shot suffered, but to be stuck in that house waiting, you know, for either the shit to go down between you and the gunman or some deal to be made to get, you know, the gunman out so there's no no shootout. You know, I'm just I'm glad it turned out a way did for you guys because I know the SWAT finally came in and got you out. But just the way that whole thing went down, and it sucked. It, it's nobody wanted to be the bad guy. Right. Um, no one wanted to be the officer that you know got caught. You know, was the one that killed this guy, and 
it, it sucks that had to, you know, they made out because it's a black man being shot. And I know that's the narrative today. Um, but it, it was just outrageous that all of you guys had to go through it. And I think, I know that officers that were shot suffered physically and all right. that. I, right. You know, I've always asked how you're doing. You say good. I have no reason to believe you're not. I mean, but yeah, I, I can't imagine <clears throat> me mentally. I I probably would have quit after that. How that went down. <laughs> no. You're. I mean, you are a true hero for that. Uh, uh, no, I mean, yeah. <clears throat> quitting quitting the job never crossed my mind. I mean, in a million years, I would have never thought something like that would have happened. You know, and I just thank God that I have the the mental stability that I have, and you know, and I was in a position with uh, the best guy um, at the time, you know, with my partner. And so, you know, we held each other, we, we held each other down and, you know, we just stayed focused on the task at hand. You know, the entire time that I was in the house, you know, I, you know, to be, to be quite honest, I wasn't afraid, you know, um, and I'm not trying to make myself sound like I'm like some tough guy or something like that, but I was just too busy uh, being focused on, you know, not getting killed, you know, and that, and that's just, yeah. that's just it. And so I didn't have time to think about, you know, some people say, well, I think about my kids or I didn't think about any of that stuff. I, you know, I didn't think about any, I put myself in, in position, my, my partner and I, which is what we did. And we just, you know, uh, waited it out and, and, you know, the outcome was the outcome. Yeah. And I, and I could say for a fact, I know an hour, you know, since 2000, um, 2006 our joke about Aaron is he has no inside voice <laughs> so if there's something he wants to say about you good or bad he's mm -hmm. going to say it doesn't care about your feelings and he's not going to hide it and also when he shakes your hand you got to go to the hospital afterwards because it's absolutely ridiculous you literally got to prepare you know and that's for anybody ever listening always have a firm handshake never go loose noodle because if you meet Aaron and he shakes your hand you're in trouble but well listen I want to I appreciate you coming in. You know, I know once this is all said and done um, and the courts are over and all that stuff, I know there's more you'll be able to tell and want to tell. But, you know, for now, the fact that you made it through that craziest night, and I, you know, encourage anybody, look online, read the story, read everything that happened. There's video. You can find some video there's of the cops jumping out of the windows. There's video. Oh. There's audio. I listened to the audio. And that was the crazy thing is that, you know, it's one thing when you're going through it and, you know, you can hear it, you know, via the radio and, you know, but then once you once you actually go back and listen to it, you're just like, wow, you know, but, you know, you know, my partner and I, we, we were calm the entire time. You know, we came over the radio and we were we were calm. And the, one of the reasons why we were calm is because, you know, we didn't want to come over panic and, you know, have, um, you know, officers storm the house. And, you know, God, yeah. God forbid, you know, how many people could have been killed, you know, if they would have just stormed the house. And so, you know, we knew that we had to be calm and and we did just that. And but like I said, when you listen to the tape, you listen to it. It's just um, it blows your mind. It's. The, the video, the the video you can see, what you can find is it's crazy. But that's the world these officers live in. That's the the stress of going to work, that happening, and then surviving that, and now, you know, going around doing their jobs today and tomorrow and the next day, not only worrying about maybe that scenario happening, but you know, am I going to get jammed up for? 
you know, stopping the wrong person today because, <clears throat> you know, the media says it's bad. It, it just sucks. And that's why, you know, we're doing this. We want to give people a kind of behind a look of what they go through. But I, I will say this, though, on policing, when it comes to policing, you know, and policing today, you know, you have to know what you are doing. You know, you you have to know your job and you have to know what you are doing. And sometimes, you know, people it's not like, you know, if you work at a department store, you fold the shirt the wrong way. It's not a big deal. These are actually these are actual human beings and people that you are dealing with and you are in position to take away someone's freedom. And that's a lot of power. You know, that's a lot of power. And so you have to know your job. You have to know what you can do and what you cannot do. And you have to also know, you know, um, that you have to also make sure that you don't violate someone's rights. And so, you know, you just have to just make sure that you are up on whatever it is you need to be up on to do your job the correct way, you know, as far as as far as being an officer, because, you know, sometimes, you know, people take things, you know, when they're dealing with, you know, people out there, they take it personal and you can't take it. See, taking it Absolutely. personal will get you yeah. in trouble. All right. It will get you in trouble. It's just like, you know, now you have a personal vendetta against this person, you know, because they didn't cooperate with you. You know, just because you wear a uniform, it doesn't mean that people have to cooperate with you. They can motherfuck you up and down. I've been motherfucked up and down. I've been called every name in the book. You know, I've been called, you know, you know, anything but a child of God, you know, but that that's the job. That's the job. It comes with it. And so you just can't haul off and slap somebody just because they make you mad and then say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, there's there's no no I'm sorry for that, especially when you're in a position of power. Being a police officer, you know, it is a position of power. And so you have to know what you're doing. And that's my number one rule. I tell anybody I, I speak to a few people on Twitter, kids going into academies all across the country. And what the one bit of advice I can give. Don't take anything anyone says to you personally. Don't even take anything someone does to you personally. You get in a fight and a knuckle-down brawl with somebody and you lock them up afterwards, that's over. That's the job. Who cares? But for real, for real I, I almost feel like that, you know, certain things that you do as a police officer, certain things you should kind of like almost expect. You should in today's in today's time, you should expect people to just not comply with you no matter what it is that you're doing. But then you also cool. just have to just, you know, <clears throat> make sure that you cover yourself by knowing yeah. why you did something and you have to be able to articulate yourself. A lot of times why a lot of uh, cops run into problems is because they can't articulate themselves. They don't know why they did something. They don't, they just see something and they say, Ooh, look at this. It looks shiny. Okay. But you just can't go and grab something just because it looks shiny. What was going on? What happened? What were the extenuating circumstances? What was the totality of the circumstances? Why did you do this? What was he or she doing? You know, you know what I mean? You just can't stop someone because they talk shit to you because they looked at you a certain way because you don't like their music or because you don't like, you know, the, the, um, the, the clothes that they wear and you, you have to actually know your job. Yep. You got to explain it. That's right. bottom line. Explain it, to, you know, why you're doing it. And if you're doing it the right way, which 99% of every, every cop does, you're going to be good. You'll have right. no problems. Just That's like same. any profession, there are some bad cops. There's some bad doctors. There's some bad teachers. There's just some bad people around. But if you don't want to be that bad guy, you don't want to become, a, you know, uh, that, that person, just do your job. Don't and take even, it personal. Know what you're doing. But it's not just, hard. When you're a cop, you're always going to be the bad guy. Yes. 
but just make sure that your intentions are good. You know, just, just you, you know, your job, you know, when you are a police officer in today's time, you're the bad guy, you know? And so just as long as you know that what you're doing is right and that you are doing your job the correct way, that's all you have to worry about. Because if shit starts to roll downhill and you can explain yourself and you can explain why you did something and your paperwork isn't, is correct. You have nothing to worry about, you know, and that's just, that's just the nature of the beast, especially with the, uh, the way things are now, you know what I mean? So just know that you're going to be the bad guy, no matter what. Well, brother, listen, I appreciate you doing this. Um, I've offered this to a lot of people. I know more are going to come. So when we have future episodes, we'll have more people in talking about their experiences, I will still keep giving you some of our stories. Some of the funnier ones uh, have happened, you know, the past couple of weeks. But next week, we're going to definitely talk about the shootings uh, we were involved in in the warrant unit and some of the horrors that we saw. It's, you know, and that stuff that weighed on us and still some of us to this day. Um, but, you know, Prof, thanks for jumping on, brother. And Great. I'll uh, Great thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll, we'll talk to you again next week. All right.